0: Welcome, TTB community. I'm Elliot Chibley, and here with me, as always, is the shrewd Bob DeMena.
1: Thank you, Elliot. That's funny that you used that one, because when I thought this was going to be me, um, I had something that was in a similar, similar uh, definition base. Does that make sense? It does.
0: I, I think I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, because when you type in a word, so this is how I typically get these words. I figure, I, I Google a word I know that I feel like using to define you that day, and then I just type in synonym after it, and it gives me like a bank of multiple words I can use, and I just find one that I've never used or heard of or didn't think of before, and then that's how I pick. Is that I like how you it. do it? Yeah, uh, how do Most you do of it? the time, yeah. Yeah, how do you spell shrewd? S-H-R-E-W-D.
0: Yeah. Unrelated yeah. to the word shrew.
1: Right, right, right. No, that would be rude. <laughs> <That> would be, <laughs> it would be rude to call me That shrewd. would be shrewd. Yes, yeah, there you go. We're hilarious. All right. Before we we get into the episode today, uh, just a quick reminder that we have travel gear that we have personally used posted on our website. You can click um, the Amazon links associated with each of those pieces of gear and buy it for yourself. We get a very tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of that sale. And it it goes to supporting the podcast. Uh, You can also book trips with With companies that we have had on our show previously, whether it is GJ Travel out of Iceland, uh, several of the Peruvian tour companies, Costa Costa, which does tours through um, Central and South America and Spain. If you're interested in any of the companies after listening to our conversation with them, we've tried to make it very easy for you to then book with them. So, check it out. Uh, and and lastly, if, if you're feeling very kind today, please take a minute to uh, rate us and uh, give us a review on whatever platform you're using. It, it goes a really long way in helping us uh, look more legit, uh, as they say, when we try to get bigger guests. Uh, the more reviews we have, the more seriously we're taking, and then therefore the better content we get to produce. So, two seconds out of your day, give us a review, and we really, we really can't tell you how much that would mean to us. Um, So before Elliot breaks down who we have as the guest today, we are going to give, uh, we were going to say last week's trivia question. So last week's episode was with Kit. And the trivia question was, what town in France was Kit's favorite? And if you answered Cassis, I think that's how it's pronounced. If you answered Cassis, France, then we will be sending you a Traveler's Blueprint sticker and giving you a shout out on our uh, Instagram or travel I'm sorry, Instagram or Facebook stories. The, the the stickers are pretty cool. I slept on my backpack. I have a few of them. Um, so we're happy to give them out. And and uh, yeah, thank you for, for participating. Elliot, who do we have today? Our guest today has traveled the world
0: extensively. Wow. Extensively. And he's also done it on motorcycle in places like the US, Europe, Southeast Asia, and Australia. And he's been traveling since he was eight years old and has continued for the last 40 years. Today, we dive into one of his many trips starting in Dubai and making his way to Oslo in Norway. So please give a warm welcome to the Artful Inc. studio owner, Paolo Martino. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure.
1: Hello, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, thanks for having me. So I came across your Instagram profile and you know, you're know you rocking the, the, the nice white beard and you got the tattoos and you, you dress really nice. You're always like dressed to the nine. And so I immediately, I, I was like, this is the most interesting man in the world. So, <laughs> you know- people, Real life, real yeah, life. They're, they're real, the, like a modern, you're like a modernized um, most interesting man in the world. So my first question for you is, do you drink Dos Equis? My dream, what? Do you drink Dosseki's? No, I guess not. No, 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 so, no. so I don't know. I don't know if they did it in Australia, but they used. They had this advertising program where they had the, the most interesting man in the world, beautiful white beard, but he drank Dosseki's, which is a beer brand. Uh, oh, yeah, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't have that here. Okay. You don't have that. Okay. Ah. But, um, is, trust me, if we had it, I'd drink it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so we're, we're today we're here to talk about your travels. Um, yeah, let's let's do that. I know you you've traveled extensively. We kind of went over it already. You're you're you ride motorcycles all around the world. I mean, you said you were up in the Middle East, in the United States. So let's we're gonna jump into that. Uh, I think yeah yeah something I was curious about. So do you you manage or do you own an, an a tattoo studio? I
2: had three tattoo studios. I had four. I closed the fourth down, but I'm about to uh, open a couple more. in very in the very near future. So I have three at the moment. I have the uh, my Bali studio is the number one studio in Southeast Asia, if not the Southern Hemisphere. It's very, very busy. Very famous. It's um, it's crazy. Wow.
0: It's
2: it's um, it's nuts. But it's it's a fantastic experience. We have a a, a long list of international artists that we regularly deal with, and uh, it's 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 incredible. Actually, it's hard to explain, but it's it's a crazy thing.
1: Wow. And so, do you have? You said international artists, so will artists come to Bali to work with you or work in your studio?
2: Yes, we have, um, because the shop is so famous, we have have people approach us all week long, mostly uh, a lot of Europeans, obviously Russians, Ukrainians, um, Central Europe, English, Spanish guys, French guys, I've got English guys, I've got Australians, I've got Americans, I've got Canadians.
1: How did you end up settling in Bali?
2: Uh, I've, I've been, I actually went to school as a teenager in, uh, in Singapore, I've been in Singapore for five years. Okay. And, did, and went to high school there. After high school I came back to Australia and uh, my dad was in a, a dive salvage business where they were salvaging shipwrecks throughout Southeast Asia. So I ended up back in, uh, back in Singapore and um, throughout Indonesia just as I grew up and I was working for him as a commercial diver.
0: I was a bit younger. Okay, what is, can I ask what the name of the studio is?
2: Artful Inc.
0: Artful Ink.
2: Artful Ink. So two, I've got one studio in Bali. I have one studio here in Perth, and then uh, south of Perth there's a beautiful wine-growing region called Margaret River. I have a studio there. So it's
0: All right. Nice to get away there, and and, and how wine. often do you do you visit these studios? Uh, Bali, I'm pretty much
2: once every week, every two weeks. I head up there for a few days. So I mean, from from here where I'm in Perth, it's only a three and a half hour flight. Okay. Which which makes things very easy. Um, so I'm just back and forth between earth and Bali much, you know, probably 50% of the time.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's pretty, really cool. I didn't realize you had multiple studios. I knew of your, the, the tattoo studio, but I didn't realize it was kind of across Southeast Asia and Australia. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, no, it's, um, it's hard work. Obviously the Indonesian side of things is difficult with politics and, uh, changing government policies regularly, but it's mm-hmm. challenging and it's good fun. And it's, uh, and I meet amazing people like literally, I mean, Bali these days is a, uh, a hub of international madness and it's, it's everybody from everywhere there all all year round. So yeah, in the early, in the early days, it was very much seasonal just with Australian tourism, but now it's, it's international. It's just everybody from everywhere all the time. So it's, it's very, very good place to meet people.
1: So my, my um, idea of what Bali is like, and this could correct me if I'm wrong, but from my my understanding, it's sort of where like Australians like to go to party. Is that like, you know, the, in the United States, we go to Mexico. So we'll go down to Cancun or or Playa de Carmen, and that's sort of okay. So that's right. So it's 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 a very it's it's like a party island sort of for Westerners. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's um, it is that, but it's everything in between too. You know, there's it's like the Cancun side, I guess, with with the party scene, but there's also top. If you want to do top end stuff, there's top end things there. It's whatever you want it to be. It's it's really a morphing, living, breathing thing. Hmm.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it seems like a great place for a tattoo parlor. Yeah,
2: fantastic place. I mean, there are a lot of there's something like seven hundred shops on the island, which is
0: just for tattoos, rid, which
2: is ridiculous. But um, obviously, thanks to uh,
0: now you got me the hand. Of, the man. hand god
2: is very popular and very famous and very busy. So yeah.
0: now you got me thinking where the most dense, what the most <laughs> dense city with tattoo studios is. it's got to be up there. Yeah,
1: it's got to be up there. Yeah, so so jumping into your travels, um, when did you start traveling the world? I uh, started traveling the world obviously with my
2: parents as a, as a young kid. Um, my dad always had international businesses and uh, he, he was in the Vietnam War and he was in ge- engineers in the Vietnam War so they were building bridges and other things and when he left the army he just carried that on through the South Pacific so we spent a lot of time as kids out around Western Samoa, Papua um, New Guinea, Fiji, around the South Pacific then we sort of made our way up into Asia and we were back and forth, I guess, from Asia into Australia, just with my dad's work back and school, back and forth, back and forth, and it just sort of progressed like that. It just, just hasn't stopped.
0: Yeah. Well, wow. reflecting back on that as, as a kid, did you like that? Did you know that you had a bit of a different life than most other kids?
2: Yeah, I, I did, and uh, I, I loved it. I managed to love it to this day, you know. So it's um, obviously home is home, but I don't really, I've never really felt like anywhere is home as such. Yeah, I'm just comfortable I'm, comfortable. I'm anyway. So
1: that's good. As, yeah, as especially as, when you as travel much as, as, much
2: as much as you do. Yeah, which is
1: a lot. Yeah, a lot. Southeast Asia is always it, it. to me, I think it's the most beautiful region in the entire world. The the beaches are just so purely white, and the sand is soft, and the the, the environment is just so. It's just such a beautiful place, and all those islands environmentally, I guess, are very similar. Right? It's it's the same sort of White sand beaches, but then the culture varies so significantly depending on which island or which country you're in while you're exploring yeah, that region of the world.
2: It's very true. The culture, obviously, I mean, the, the 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 scenery and the geography is similar in places, but I mean, obviously, culturally they're very very different. Obviously, religions vary and people's um, vibe changes too. But it's uh, the incredible thing is the fact that you can be in Southeast Asia, which is obviously very very populated, and you can still be in the middle of nowhere, which is hard to fathom because the place is crazy it's it's crowded it's busy it's polluting and you can be on these beaches and you don't see anybody for days so it's still it possible you know you can be you can be in places where you haven't seen people
1: for days out there it's
2: yeah yeah, yeah. They, they still exist those places still exist that's
0: that's interesting uh, my my uncle moved to the philippines in the early 2000s and actually married a filipino woman and she's now my aunt and it he was actually on the podcast when we first started, but she came to the United States and they went to Nebraska, I forget why, and they were driving along the roads and she was like, why are there no buildings? <laughs> why aren't they using this land? Because she's so used to, she grew up in Manila, she's used to density, she's used to population, she's used to structures. It was. I still remember that and that was like one of her first times visiting the States. Hmm. Yeah, it's as, as
2: you know, in those places, in those cities in Southeast Asia, I mean, the only place they can go up these days is up. So when you're uh, exposed to a little bit of open space, it does become a little bit confusing for them, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, Australia is the same. As you know, Australia has thousands <sighs> and thousands and thousands of kilometers of nothing. So,
0: yes, it maybe, does. Literally if
2: you come nothing. From somewhere, <laughs> like Southeast Asia, China, that would be a, a, a major shock.
1: Hey, um, they could, could I ask about the fires and... and- What's going on in Australia right now after that horrible uh, few months?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I'm on the West Coast. The fires are on the East Coast. So, uh, we were fortunate enough not to be affected by the fires. Obviously, people on the East Coast were had, had a pile of problems. But it was mostly to do with lightning strikes. And then, uh, like most natural disasters these days, it was, as fast as it popped up, it went down. And I think the week after, they had problems with floods. So. <laughs> wow. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, um, obviously... I, I- Sorry? I was seeing a bunch of information come out that like a billion animals died and uh, tons oh, of man. homes rough
2: rough so yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Um, people, obviously people that live in those in those regions they understand that that's obviously a, a threat that is existing all the time like bushfire and those types of things but for the animals I mean they're just so defenceless and helpless it's um, that's the heartbreaking part
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I remember uh, recently they talked about the after it had kind of fizzled a little bit they were comparing it to the amazon forest fires in 2018 and yeah, then yeah. the california and northwest uh united states wildfires and neither one came close to the size of the australian wild wildfires
2: yeah i mean there's obviously just so much so much uh, forest there and then and bush um once it took off it was hard to stop it there's 1,001 conspiracy theories as to how it started, but I think mostly it's just been to do with lightning strikes. That's just yeah. part of nature, I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's been hot there, right? It's hot and it's dry. Yeah. And you kind of yeah. have the perfect I- the ingredients for a fire like this to spread rapidly and just kind of take over. It's, it's yeah, it is devastating. Um, California's it's, been dealing um, with the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it's, that. It's hot. And, you know, California, Southern California – is up in the the hundreds, uh, you know, Fahrenheit and it's getting drier and drier and the hills are getting drier. And then these, yeah, these fires start and they can't stop them. Um, It's nature's course. I mean, it was devastating, huge parts of Southern California. And even some of the wealthiest people in this country, movie stars, their houses were being destroyed too. No one was really safe from it. Uh, I know there's a few really famous people who lost their homes and it's, uh, it's really unfortunate. It's just, it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down at all either.
2: No, and I think obviously as the wood becomes more populated, I mean, obviously um, most, of the native, most of the native fauna in Australia needs to have fire and smoke for it to germinate and to pollinate. So this has been happening obviously for tens of thousands of years, the fact that people now populate these areas, now it's an issue. Mm-hmm. In the old days, they wouldn't have germination without bushfires and this sort of thing. So I guess it's always been part of nature,
0: but now the fact that people live there, it's, that's the problem. yeah Yeah. now they're concerned about it
1: yeah all right Mm -hmm. um so so would you say that your favorite way of traveling is by motorcycle
2: most certainly 100 percent yes
1: so (laughs) uh let's talk about some of your trips i know it's a pretty popular thing to do and especially have you done the trip through you said you haven't done south america yet so one of the trips that i keep seeing pop up are the people that are riding from like south america all the way up to alaska have you have you thought about that yet that is very,
2: very highly on my agenda. I have some uh, very good friends there in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've spoken with them just recently. I'd like to obviously fly and probably start there and work my way up.
1: But that is very high on my agenda. Do you okay. ship your bike there or do you buy a new bike when you get to South America? It, de- it depends where I'm going.
2: Obviously, if I was going to go to South America, I'd probably just uh, buy one there. Okay.
1: okay. Do you have specific
0: requirements? Does it always have to be a Harley?
2: No, I just recently rode India on a uh, Royal Enfield, which was very entertaining. And,
0: uh, <laughs> can you can you elaborate? <laughs> what do you mean yeah, by entertaining?
2: So, no, no, I mean, um, for Australian conditions or American conditions, obviously the Royal Enfield would probably be a little bit underpowered for those big open highways. Um, for India or Southeast Asian traffic, the Royal Enfield is is perfect. It's as good as it gets. It's, it's, it's a bulletproof motorcycle. It's India. There's... You can break down as a guy right there that can fix it. And if you can't fix it, there's a guy right there that can fix it, and as a guy, it's it's just a purpose built motorcycle for India. Okay. Interesting. So And, and, and tough and reliable and economical and uh, they, they're amazing in those conditions.
1: Hmm. So, riding through India, I'm assuming you saw a part of the country that most people. Most nor- you know, common travelers don't get to experience. I think India is not very high on a lot of people's lists to begin with, but even the people that do go, they tend to stick to Delhi, Agra, uh, yeah, Mumbai, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you saw rural India, what was, it was that like? Rural
2: India, yes, it, yeah, was what, good. it was, uh, it was very much similar to playing a game of uh, Xbox, an Xbox game, you know, it was. <laughs> There's cows, there's donkeys, there's people, there's <laughs> cars, there's trucks, there's buses, there's avalanches, there's mudslides, there's rivers, there's floods. It's you name it. It's all there. It's it's nuts.
1: Now, how did you how did you overcome the language barrier?
2: Uh, everybody spoke good English in India. It was
1: oh wow. I mean, in, in the, the rural parts, times
2: and, uh, in the rural parts, nobody spoke English. No. Okay. The universal language for food is food. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. ordering food was, was quite easy. It was good.
0: Yeah. Just and order anything and it'll probably be good. That's the just... food in India is amazing.
2: I mean, the, the food in India is, to me personally, it's um, it's second to none. It's, it's obviously vegetarian in a lot of parts. So the variety and, and the, just the flavors, and it's, it's exceptional. It's amazing, the food in India. Hmm.
1: So what was your route like through India?
2: Uh, so I, I flew into Delhi. And from Delhi, I uh, went to a marketplace and sourced a motorcycle. Um, then we hit the road, we went north up into the uh, in the mountains up towards, or was the destination was Badrina, which is on the Tibetan border in uh, the very northern part of India. Um, the roads in those rural parts, it took me to do 500 kilometers, took me four full days. What? So, yeah, four, line, I've been riding from sunrise to, to, until dark. For four wow. Four days five, 500 k so. It was mostly second and third year like on the pegs motocross style, you know, it was Uh, was through rivers and up tracks and it was nuts, but it was good fun. (laughs) Wow.
0: Yeah, that truly is, that is truly more about the journey than the destination. That was all about the journey. Right, yeah.
1: So so when you decide where you're going to ride your motorcycle around the world, do you pick like, you know, okay, this is going to be uh, more of an adventurous experience. Whereas I'm sure in California or in the United States, it's more of a leisurely cruising type of um, atmosphere or experience. Is that, does that sound right?
2: Yeah, and, it, and the same goes for Australia. I mean, obviously, motorcycling is, in Australia is the same as America. It's, it's open roads. It's safe. The roads are good. Um, yeah, the scenery is fantastic. But when you go to those, we'll just use India as an example. It's, um, you just don't know. You don't know the terrain. You don't know the language. You don't know how the fuel is. You don't know anything. It's just really just all luck.
1: And you said you did this in the Middle East. Where?
2: I uh, it was about six years ago. Now I had a, a plan to ride to Norway from Australia. Um, in those days, wow. uh, obviously with government situation, it was illegal to ride into Vietnam, into China, or into Myanmar on a foreign foreign owned vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I thought about starting somewhere like in Singapore and then riding up to Asia. But I couldn't. I was landlocked. I couldn't get through those three countries. So. Option A, I made, uh, I was going to start in South Africa and right up through Africa, up through Morocco into Spain and up into up to Norway that way. That was plan A. Plan B was to start in the Middle East. So I just grabbed a coin and heads, heads, that was South Africa, tails, it was the Middle East, land tails and I shipped the bike to Dubai and started there.
1: Wow. Wow. It so what was your route like? So you start in Dubai and then where did you go?
2: So yeah, I, I, I spent the first week in Dubai just riding around in the Emirates and uh, just basically just having a look around there. After a week, I jumped on a ferry road right into Iran. Um, Iran was amazing, much to uh, people's, you know, surprise. Yeah. People were super friendly. The people were super friendly. Um, the food was great. The roads were good. The scenery, the weather was, was hot, obviously. Um, but it was fantastic. That's one of the highlights of the trip was riding through Iran. It was amazing.
1: Huh. Yeah, I, I I've heard that multiple times from people who have visited there. Obviously, in the United States, especially right now, um, Iran is not very high on our uh, on our ally list, um, and it has a it has a stigma as being dangerous, and um, you know all those things that that come with that, uh, especially over the past few decades but the people that i've talked to or the the conversations that i've heard on people who actually travel into iran or anywhere in the middle east and actually get to know the people and the restaurant owners and you know talk to them they're they're friendly and they're just normal people that are just trying to live their own lives and they're typically pretty accommodating to westerners they want to show people that hey listen we're not we're not bad people we're we're just like you um and yeah it's it's unfortunate that they have that stigma. One thing I do know from extensive travel
2: is people basically are people. Yeah. You know, people, the majority of people are good. It's just the governments that are behind the people that um, lead them astray a little bit. When I was in Iran, most of I mean, everybody was fantastic. They were hospitable. We stayed in strangers' houses. They fed us. They looked after us. Everybody in Iran said that all they wanted to do was just go back to how it was before the revolution. Like okay. Everybody. Everybody that I spoke to, and I spoke to a lot of people, so I was there for at least a month, maybe five or six weeks in Iran. Everybody was like, we don't support this government, but the government is obviously too powerful for them as individuals. Everybody wants to go back to how it was before the revolution. So the people are good. It's just the government that causes issues.
1: Right. So
0: from from Iran, did you go through so Turkey?
2: From, yeah, in Iran, I went up to uh, through the base of Mount Ararat into Turkey. Um, Turkey, I rode up to uh, into Gallipoli, obviously, as a strong military history from Australian World War I experiences mm. in, uh, in Gallipoli. I went there and sort of paid a bit of homage to those guys that were there. And that was a life changing experience in itself. You no, know?
1: um, as you're traveling through, do you have something specific that you look for? Like, are you into archaeological sites? Are you looking to experience the food culture? Are you looking to just meet people? Is there something that you you zone in on as you're traveling through some of these countries?
2: Not so much a focus in uh, in any one particular thing. Um, obviously, food. I'm, I love to eat food, <laughs> and uh, I, I eat anything. Um, I like to you know drink good wine or, or local beers, and, and I'm always interested in meeting people too, you know, and, and talking with locals. Mm-hmm. It's just even just I mean, obviously, on this trip that we're talking about now, we spent half our time sleeping on the side of the road and, and half the time in hotels. So if we're out in the country, we just stayed in the dirt, slept in the dirt. And if we were in a city, we stayed in a hotel. So it was, we got the best of everything. You know, we, we mixed it up. We did the, the city thing and the eating and the morning and dining level. We had the chance. And then in the other times and rural times, we just slept out in our swags and did the whole bush thing.
1: Yeah. I, cool I've to. never traveled. I've never traveled like that. It seems, it's very intriguing. It just seems very freeing. Like you're just immersed in it. Um, you really can't get any deeper into a country than driving through the, the their infrastructure and sleeping on the side of roads and talking to everyone you can.
2: Yeah, especially obviously like there's a lot of times when we were out in rural areas where people would like be sleeping on the side of the road and the people would come and say, oh, we got a farmhouse like you know, a kilometre away, come and stay with us. Wow. I mean, yeah, so like, so people, super friendly everywhere. It was, um, it was a good experience. Obviously from there, I mean, we, I spent a little bit of time in Albania. We went through Albania and zigzagged our way through uh, Europe Albania was interesting. Um, if you like dodging bullets as you ride.
1: Wow. Actually? <laughs>
2: uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, literally. Literally. It was pretty, pretty insane.
0: What year was this?
2: It's only a few years ago.
0: 2014.
2: Years. Oh, it's, wow. Talk, no, no, I'm, I'm just talking about just like drunken lunatics shooting from their cars as they're driving down the main street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, Al- Albania yes. is not a country <laughs> I've thought of all that much. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, No. Yeah. So on only in list.
0: geography class.
1: Yeah, Albania. So, but
2: but but same thing, you know. Um, obviously, troubled times in the past, but uh, and now, obviously, the economy is a little bit not so recovered. But um, the people were good. Obviously, a lot of crazy things happened there, but um, so it was good to meet some good people. We had we were given a lot of hospitality there, so.
1: Yeah, so Albania is right next to Montenegro. So I went to Croatia, and in my time there, I went and I visited uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro, and then we heard, we did hear about Albania and it being beautiful, but it, it appears that those countries still haven't fully um, redeveloped from the Yugoslavian, that, that civil war that happened there. Now Croatia, with its, with its beautiful coastline, ended up getting a huge influx of tourism dollars. And they were able to build it up pretty rapidly. But when we went into Bosnia and Herzegovina, the, the roads were still pretty in, in pretty bad shape. And once we even got closer to one of the cities, there, there were bullet holes, there were bombings. You could see like right through the sides of some buildings because yeah. they just hadn't yeah, yeah. gotten around to cleaning them up. It was quite interesting. Um, and so is that, does that kind of sound like where Albania is too? Albania
2: wasn't as extreme as Bosnia or Serbia. I mean, Bosnia and Serbia, as you know, um, Everything is Swiss cheese pretty much.
1: Mm-hmm. Every, mm-hmm. Build,
2: every building. Every building is full of bullet holes there. Albania was more just had that whole Russian communist feel, you know. They, they had these beautiful miles and miles of perfect beaches and every 50 fifty metres a concrete bunker. So uh, um the,
0: the, the,
2: the whole country is just littered in, in concrete bunkers and obviously defence, you know, dug out defences, but uh, well wow. still very, very way behind obviously tourism there's not really a thing. No uh, as Croatia, I mean, Croatia is booming.
1: Yeah, Croatia is booming, and I think those other countries will too because they have the same climate. And I, I think more and more people are traveling, and as more and more people travel, they're they're trying to figure out where they can go that no one else has been yet. And Albania is a good place to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so you made your way, place. so you made your way through Albania, and then where to next? Did you go into uh, Serbia? Th-
2: yeah we did Serbia, we did Bosnia, we did uh, Greece, Macedonia, we did uh, Hungary, Yugoslavia we did, we,
1: Hungary is beautiful. We did I did the to Budapest that's it's such an incredible city. I don't know if you stopped there at all. Yes we did we did yeah yeah, yeah.
2: we just basically just zigzagged our whole way through we, we don't have, you know we just grabbed the map and we go let's do that while well, we're here, let's do that so we basically did every single country that was there to do
1: yeah i'm looking at it on a map it's crazy how it all just connects so so easily um you can drive right through istanbul into all those uh eastern european countries and then i guess you went straight through germany into denmark yes yes we did yeah and then um yeah
2: yeah germany was uh germany was good denmark we flew through um we spent a little bit of time in italy we did a lot of italy Actually did the whole, we've actually followed the whole coast of Greece, which was time consuming, but we actually did the whole entire Greek coastline, which was very, very good. Wow. So this
1: wasn't a, let's get from point A to point B trip. This was, let's just jump on our bikes and we'll see as much as we can. It it seems like you just started exploring. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Wow.
2: Um, That's the beauty of a
0: motorcycle.
1: Yeah.
2: And the entertaining part of this trip was when we left home, we said, we're not going to take any tools whatsoever. So if we break down, we break down. We just work it out on the spot. We'll fix it as it comes. you know. So we didn't have any contingency plans or, or backup, truck, <laughs> backup vehicles. or It was basically <laughs> just a...
0: Uh, but, it, but it was a thought to have contingency plans, but you're like, no, we don't need them.
2: <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> we, had, we had one breakdown in, uh, in the deep in the countryside of Serbia, I think it wasn't. Fortunately for us it was just a simple battery channel coming loose. So same thing. We were in the middle of in the middle of a paddock in the middle of nowhere, um, broken down with no tools and a guy just came out of nowhere and invited us back to his house. It turns out he restored motorcycles. He's an older guy, who's in his fifties or sixties and he had a garage full of motorcycles that he was rebuilding himself with new motorcycles inside out, had tools and we stayed there for a couple of days. And drink their wine and ate
1: their food. It's crazy how that always works out. You, We hear these stories all the time where it's like, you know, we didn't have a plan, but then we met somebody who helped us. And it, it, it's unbelievable how willing strangers are to help one another. Um, it, it, it it's is. a beautiful thing. Uh, the thing that and I'm curious about is not hearing the people who didn't make it. <laughs> you uh, know? Uh, <laughs> Those are the news stories, <laughs> Bob. We, we don't know what happened to them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, yeah, they're the well, ones that have been um, missing for twenty years.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you a, a lighter side to that was uh was Greece. Obviously, in you know, Australia there's a lot of there's a huge Greek population. And uh myself and the guy I was with, we obviously we get up in the morning to go for a coffee at a local cafe as we're walking down the street. Somebody made a restaurant to go hear our access, obviously, and say, Oh you guys are Australia and we go, Yeah. And would be like, Oh, we have an uncle in Melbourne come in and uh, drink ouzo with us, you know, so this is like eight thirty AM. <laughs> we'd, we'd go into a cafe, have a shot of Uzo. Thanks, I see you know, thanks for Uzo. Thank you. We'll move on, you know? 20 meters down the street, we'll still be talking to someone else about another cafe Yeah, Are you guys were struggling I've got an uncle in Melbourne. Come in for an Uzo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they all have the same uncle.
2: <laughs> we were drunk. We were drunk in Greece the whole time. We just couldn't get away from people that had lived in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. We were drunk the whole time. It was. No,
1: <laughs> did you time this out to according to the climate, to the weather of the, each region? Because once you get into Germany um and start moving north, if it's their winter time, I imagine it's a pretty it's like cold always, experience. Like it feels like
0: it's always winter in Germany. Right.
1: Yeah. So how did you yeah. did you did you play did you factor that in or did you just was that another thing like well, ah, we'll get Jack into we get there?
2: Um no, we did the summer thing, so obviously the Middle Eastern summer was hot. Yeah. It was very, very hot. Um, but as we obviously went through Europe, it was the middle of summer and it was, it was bearable. Um, it was cold. We went over, obviously, up through Italy into Switzerland. It was cold. We got to about 13,000 feet over the top where you crossed into Switzerland. It was cold up there. Um, but everywhere else was good. I mean, I had I had to be in Norway by a certain date. So we knew we had like three or four months up our sleeves. So we were in no rush to go anywhere. Okay. And uh, we, we were aware that it was summer. So we did sort of work around that.
0: Right. right. So it, did it take you, you said you'd did that trip in three to four months it's
2: about four months, I think
0: four months. Okay. Now I'm curious when we talked about this a little bit earlier with your, if you were to do South America, you'd probably just buy a motorcycle there. And then in India, you bought a motorcycle. Did you bring yours or did you buy one? No,
2: I, in India, I, uh, i bought I'm sorry for, I... for the, oh, for, for this trip. Yes. No, I shipped my bike. I shipped a Harley that I owned here to Dubai. I shipped yeah, one that I already owned.
0: Okay. Okay. So you knew it pretty well, and you knew when it broke down, what could go wrong. It didn't break down. That <laughs> <way>. <laughs> just but, that uh, one time.
1: I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so, a big motorcycle guy, but are Harleys? Is it established that they're the best? I wouldn't
2: say that. But, I mean, I ride Harleys, obviously, but um, are they the best? They're very, very good, and they're reliable. and everybody has their favorite. You now it's like or, Is there uh, an
1: Australian or, motorcycle company that's that's just as big or just as popular?
2: No. Uh, no. Hmm. Everybody here rides Harleys. I mean, the, the roads, there's some great roads here. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, now, it takes one week to, to ride from Perth to Sydney, so it's, you wouldn't want to be riding like a sports bike to that sort of mile.
0: Right, yeah. right. Now, for cost, I'm curious, how does it compare to, you know, flying and, like, renting a car and trying to do that same route? Yeah, it's, it's,
2: it would be, I mean,
0: depends how you fly <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: uh, it's. I mean, obviously, in the Middle East. When I was in uh, in Dubai, petrol I think was about six cents a liter, six Australian cents a liter, which is probably about uh, four cents US. That's like
0: cheaper than water.
2: Yeah. When I. I wish I thought it was cheap when I was in Dubai. When I got to Iran, Iran, I think it was like about two cents a liter. Oh wow.
0: My God.
2: And it's it, everything. You don't get anything under like hundred octane. The
0: fuel quality is just amazing. One hundred octane. Yeah. Wow, what All is right. it in the United States? It's typically like I think unleaded is at eighty-seven.
2: Wow, yeah, we pay here in Australia, Perth. I think we're paying a dollar forty, which is probably uh, about ninety ninety cents US.
0: Yeah,
1: for per a gallon liter, for a liter for a
0: liter. Yeah, there's three point seven eight liters in a gallon. Yes, sir, yeah. yeah,
2: look at Elliot. <laughs> so it's it's expensive. It's expensive when you take into consideration these guys. Got very high
0: quality fuel for two cents a liter. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cheaper than water. And yeah. that whole trip was what? Close to 10,000 kilometers? No,
2: I did, uh, did 30,000 kilometers. 30,000? 30, 30,000 Ks in 26 countries.
0: That is a hell just of a trip. Just on that trip?
2: Just on that trip, yeah. Wow. 26 right. countries, 30,000 Ks.
0: So I just mapped it because you said you did – did you say you took a ferry from Dubai to um, – to really? run,
2: yeah, to, okay. Yeah, it's of us. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Good. That's where I mapped it from. Because I just looked for the biggest city on the coast there. And that if you were to direct do a direct route, is roughly seven thousand kilometers. So you extended yeah, no, no, we, your we, trip we, by four times. We did this yeah.
2: the whole way. Yeah, yeah. We did a bit backtrack. Like I said, we followed the whole coast of Greece. So that's when you yeah. look at the Greek coastline, it's it's um it's it's a lot of case.
1: Man, that, that sounds like
2: a life-changing trip. Yeah, it was. It
1: was. I, I imagine, yeah. What you Who were you with?
2: I was just with one brother from my uh, other brother in Melbourne, and it was just the two of us. Huh. Wow. Had I not had uh, work commitments after, I would have just, I would have loved to just kept writing until I would have written into Russia, and just, I guess, just get east. But I had to be back in Australia for work, so I had to
0: shop on the planet for home. All right, and that's what I wanted to ask is, what were you doing for work at this time? Did you have to manage it all while you were on this trip or did you specifically set aside four months that you were going to be out?
2: Uh, Fortunately for me, I have very good management team. So I have about 60 staff at the moment and uh, I have some very, very good capable people that can take, you know, take the reins along the way, which is fortunately for me,
0: very, very good news. (laughs) That is, that (laughs) is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've set yourself up for that because the studio does very well and you like to travel. And I get
2: paid while I'm writing, so it's
1: it's it's <laughs> That's yeah. always a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, oh, I guess yeah, we didn't get back to. I want to get back to the cost of the trip.
2: Yeah, go for it. Uh, cost, um, roughly about you, you'd say twenty thousand Australian dollars, I guess.
0: Okay, for four months.
2: For four months, and I mean that. Like I said, that was within thirty thousand k's in twenty six countries. So it's
1: yeah, it was a cheap trip. Now you you did not plan any accommodations or anything so would you just you know ride up to a town and just maybe check out some hostels or or hotels or did you just decide to sleep on the road how did you decide where you were going to stay that night
2: we literally had no plans at all we just every day we just grab a map and we'd say let's go that way so we didn't have any intentions to stay in any particular city or in any town we just rode to a point where we said let's stop here and if it if we're in the country or out, out in the countryside, we just sleep in the bush. If we're in, lucky enough to be in a city, then we just go yeah, and there's a hotel and stay there. So it was all really like flying flying blind the whole way. Did it ever rain? Many, many times, yeah. Especially and, in Macedonia. And uh, what I do you do in
1: from... that situation? Especially if you're trying to sleep on the side of the road. Yeah, that
2: was a little bit testing in some spots. Because um, <laughs> obviously we was so you know, soap. And uh, I guess it's just, it just is what it is. You just do it, I guess.
1: So, so, I mean, thinking about, like, the details of that situation, you could be on the side of the road sleeping in the bush. You a, a rainstorm comes in. You get soaked. I'm sure you struggle to sleep. And then you had to wake up, and everything's wet, and you just jumped on the bike and kept going? Yeah,
2: pretty much. Wow. Not <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. pretty
1: much. Yeah. Just roughing it.
2: Obviously, yeah, I mean, we had a bad run through Macedonia. In Macedonia, I think we were wet for probably a week straight. Um, there was wow. some backroads there where the mud was literally knee deep. So you're trying to ride the bike through knee deep mud and, um, and you're soaked and you're covered in mud. And obviously in knee deep mud, the bike is hard to control. So you crash every 20 or 30 meters, but it's, it's soft mud and it's just it's testing. But I mean, what are you going to do? You can't stop. You're past, way past the point of no return. So to be-
0: oh yeah.
1: <laughs> the struggles definitely seem to add to the, experience especially when you come out on the other side if you had to pick anything you know that you say you learned on this trip what would it be
2: like i said earlier i think the the major thing that i took away from it was basically people are good people people are good and what i also learned was that people are so willing to help you know like me in the in the past i've probably been a little bit cold towards you know strangers on the road or but after the the love that i received being on the road from just completely strangers now i help anybody anytime else. So I took that away as a positive.
1: That's pretty profound. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, I I think, in my experience, not to talk bad on my own country by any means, but the United States, in my experience, seems to have some of the coldest people I've been around, um, relatively speaking, to traveling to other countries, especially countries that are underdeveloped, that still hold these very tight knit, like family values or community values. You know they are much warmer and more welcoming than, let's say, being dead smack in New York City, where you have nine million people who live on top of each other. This is what blows my mind. So you have this incredible population living on top of each other, and yet they're more disconnected than these villages of a, a fraction of the amount of people. Um, it's yeah, just. It's quite, I mean, I haven't. I've never been
2: to New York. Um, I do have plans to get there, obviously. But... Um, it's funny to say that because obviously places like Jakarta and Delhi, they, they're 20, 22 million people in each city and the people and the vibe in those places is it's still, you know, you think 22 million people, it would be just a sprawl of madness, but it still is. There's people there that are still smiling and they've got nothing. They don't even have like a box to sleep in. You know? They just sleep in the dirt with, right. with the sarong. Mm. And they're still smiling. They'll still help you. They'll still offer you, you know.
1: It's, I mean, I don't, I don't really like, had- I wonder where that tipping point is that you change that there's that change in mentality where you've made so much money and you have so many things that it kind of pushes you in the direction of, I need more money and more things and away from, um, that human connection. Right. Well, you,
2: that, you, see that, you see that in places like Jakarta and Delaware, people literally have nothing. Like I don't know, when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Like they don't even have a box that's shorter than from the sun. Um, and they're still small they're
0: still yeah. small
1: yeah 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 I've seen that too um, you know we were in Peru and people are living on their floor of their home is dirt um, and they're they're happy and they're nice and I've been in Thailand where they don't even have running water or or they do but it's salt water they don't have running fresh water yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah. and some of the nicest people in the world and they're just genuinely happy to be alive and they're they're curious and I don't know. Maybe there's something negative about overpopulating a city and becoming overly modernized that starts to push people to transition from some of these, you know, like uh, they're less human to a degree. Yeah.
0: I think uh, even though cities are densely populated, there is, at least in the U.S., there's this mentality of individualism. Like I'm here, I'm doing my own thing. It's me against everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people get cold. is because it just feels like a, a race to the top as opposed to let's help each other. Right?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that is true too. And you know, Obviously with this, let's use a third world country as an example, I think just because people have less, they need to rely on each other in, in a sense to achieve anything, you know, whether they're going to eat or whether they're going to have clothes or where they're getting their fresh water from. For guys like us that live in Australia or America, Taken for granted, you know. You can switch the powers on. You know, you've got a bed, you've got blankets, you got a roof. You jump in the shower; the water's warm. You can drink from the tap. This, right. this is all things that every day we take for granted and, and don't even think about. It.
0: Yeah, it's true. You know, when I
2: was in, when I was recently in India, I was with my wife, and we stopped in the morning for coffee, and we ate. And uh, she said, "I want to wash my hands." And when I, said, I want to wash my hands, I said, "Look outside, hundred meters down the road, there's a pump." She said, "What do you mean? There's a pump? I said, a water pump. You got to pump the water." She never said, "Only 30. She never seen water. Pump, you know? so, <laughs> that's a classic example. You know, you and I—we just go to tap the tap and the tap water because in wash hands.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's something that's hilar- hilarious to me. In the United States, there is a thriving bottled water industry in the United States. Thriving, like it is—it is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and yet we're one of the only countries that, throughout our entire country, which is a very big, we have perfectly clean drinkable water coming out of the faucet most places go, not like no, in Flint yeah yeah you're right but or Jersey but but people will go ooh I'm not drinking that that's tap water I want bottled water and the amount so, yeah. The, yeah the amount of energy and um, money that's required to clean up water put it through the entire processing system to then be pumped back to your town to come out of your tap water and then people are like ooh no it, it blows my mind. Um, I, the funny
0: thing is, some of that bottled water is just tap water.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. The bottled water, I believe, is less regulated than it is. the actual tap water. Yeah. Right. The sad part of
2: that story, the fact is, obviously, if you watch the news these days and there's this big push about anti-plastic, this anti-plastic, that Indonesia, I mean, all those third world countries, obviously, the a massive problem with uh, plastic waste. When you look at most of that plastic waste, it's, it's mostly water bottles. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yep.
2: And, I mean, I say this stuff every day. It would be, it'd be eighty percent, 80 percent of that plastic rubbish is actually water bottles. So
1: right, it's it's a horrible industry when you think about it, and because you drink out of that water bottle, you know, it takes you, depending on how thirsty you are, minutes, right, and then you throw it away, and that thing is going to survive forever. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. going to be around f- well after you're, you know, we're all gone, and yeah. and then you, most people get grab a second one. Um, I, I'm I'm glad to see that industry finally starting to uh I don't know, there's awareness around it now more than there ever was. Um, yeah, I hope that's it, for sure. Yeah, it there is, it is extinct. It's, a huge, it's a, huge problem, a huge
0: problem. Right. Yeah. You got me one of those Q bottles, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I mean, completely reusable, great for traveling. Yeah. They're nice. Yeah. I don't I don't understand why we can't just have just use filtered water if you if you prefer it.
1: Right. Well when just you just use that? a
0: reusable bottle
1: right
2: yeah. exactly and, you know, most places these
1: days have filters in. yeah you know, most, yeah most well, was that, that's actually something interesting now did you have did you struggle to find clean water especially as you were in maybe India or the Middle East uh, so it was the same thing we just drank bottled water but um, yeah yeah
2: everywhere's got bottled water these days I guess uh,
1: right right yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean in those countries you don't really have a choice you, you no, no, no. You, you have to yeah yeah even,
2: even to this day in Indonesia you can't, the water's not drinkable in Indonesia. No? Wow. Water water is very cheap, obviously because of the population, but um, it's, yeah, you can't drink water from it. So,
1: I'm surprised so, with the amount of money coming in through tourism that they haven't really tried to maybe put like a, a better plumbing infrastructure in.
2: It's, yeah. It, the infrastructure there is a little bit behind in, in many ways, but I mean, they'll get there eventually.
0: Yeah. I found that interesting when I, when I traveled to Europe, people were asking me if I was going to drink the tap water or if they, and if they visited, they're like, can you drink the tap water? And I think there is a mentality from the U.S. that (laughs) everywhere, but the U.S., you can't drink tap water. That's dumb. I don't want to bash U.S. citizens too much, but I think there's just a lack of, learning and appreciation for anything outside of the US.
1: Americans are the well least traveled western country, westernized country. We're the least traveled by far. What was that statistic that came out? Like less than half of our population even has passports? Yeah. Less than. That's crazy. Yeah. They, I we're agree. just not a, you... we're not a very well traveled country. Now, to our defense. We have a big If you travel, country. if you travel, yeah, it's a big country and if you travel within our country, it's almost like traveling to different countries. In a way yeah that's understandable that's understandable right yeah. but but at the same time um the world is so big and so interesting and it kind of upsets me or gets me a little depressed when I think about all the people in our country that aren't have no interest in experiencing it or yeah. you, know, world, you know but, but again world, to east the
2: world is an amazing amazing place it's it is yeah, it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable and those guys that obviously don't get to travel or don't have the incentive to travel. I mean, they're, they're missing out on, uh, I mean, obviously we only, this is the only life that we remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, you only get one go at it. And For me personally, like I'd, I didn't have work commitments, and other commitments. I just travel full time, Just Yeah. Yeah, me too. There's just so much, to, so much to see and so much to do and just so little time to do it in. Obviously we're going to run out of time, but those guys that don't think that way or are not that way inclined, I guess that's, that's their thing. Everybody's different.
0: Yeah, Paula. One thing that I do want to ask: you've been traveling for quite some time. When when were you traveling around with your uh, parents, going to those different Southeastern Asian countries as he was working? How old were you? Uh,
2: we started. I started out into the South Pacific when I was about eight, seven or eight, I guess. Okay. So I'm forty-eight now. So that's probably about forty years of solid travel.
0: Okay. And you've been traveling. I mean, it's not like you've been, you traveled then and you travel now. It's been your entire life that you've been traveling. What kind of transition have you I haven't stopped. Yeah. What kind of transition have you seen from 40 years ago to now?
2: Basically just growth, you know, pollution, um, population expansion. lots of places in Indonesia when I was riding through there in the 80s, late 80s, um, that were just pristine and like unbelievably beautiful where now they're, just, they're, they're full of hotels and all the beaches are busy and the palm trees used to be there. Now there's a palm tree to be seen. It's
0: just hotel after hotel after hotel. So things like that. Um, okay. Any, have, you noticed, time, say, have you noticed a change in uh, reception, hospitality, that kind of thing? Or has that stayed relatively the same in those countries?
2: Certain parts of Indonesia are, are still the same, though. I think the further east, obviously Indonesia, as you head east, towards um, back out to the Pacific, it, it gets a little bit um, more premium, I guess it's probably not the right word, but it's you're getting further away from the capital city. So as you go further out, it, it actually goes back to how it used to be back in the 80s and 90s in, hmm. in most of Indonesia. Okay. So everybody was friendly and, and happy to see you as you go. He's still in the States to of like that out there.
0: So, yeah. That's it's, interesting.
2: So yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's still all out there. You just need to just get out and find
1: it. It's,
0: yeah. it's beautiful get out and find it there it is
1: yeah yeah if if you were to give someone advice maybe a young traveler that wants to see the world
0: via motorcycle
1: via motorcycle besides get out and find it what would you say to them just do it (laughs)
2: yeah you know that how often do you see you guys will be the same when you speak with people and they say i'd love to go to for example paris Paris." in my brain i'm just buy a ticket and go. Like, I'll be in Paris tomorrow at lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I mean, I've traveled my whole life, so I guess it's a bit easier. But the people that are less traveled or don't have any travel experience, so then that's a big step where just do yeah. it, go there, buy that, buy the ticket, and go. What's stopping you, really, other than your own fear?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Well, that's that it's a recurring theme. So that's a recurring answer that we get. And it seems obvious to us, you know, just go. I want to go to Italy. I'm going to go this year. Like, it doesn't, it's, it, but i guess for a lot of people that's such a big step they're worried that i don't know that i the, think the leave behind fear. might not be there when they get back no i yeah, think there's or, fear of or,
0: of not knowing like how to do it because maybe yeah. your first trip is big people overcome
2: that they over, they overthink it you know like you know when i went to india people were saying where are you going to stay and i was like i haven't worked there going to stay and when i get to delhi i'll just find a hotel you we're going to
0: buy a motorcycle. I was like, I'll work it out I get there. It's like, what's the problem? To me, it's like, yeah, right. But like, even right. for Bob, Bob, I'm going to speak for both of us because I think you feel kind of the same way. Doing a motorcycle trip, I would love to do it, but I'm not going to do it because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So unless I knew that's, that's... someone like Paulo that I was going to do it with, that would make me feel a lot more comfortable, and then I would have, I would feel much better about just doing it. So was it? Yeah, what? See, it's, a matter me, of, it's a matter of comfortableness.
2: I thrive on that, being uncomfortable and not knowing. I love that stuff. That's what keeps
1: okay. yeah.
2: you know, me. Okay. Yeah. To throw me in the deep end and uh, just go work it out, that's, that's where I'm at.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to uh, pretend that going to New Delhi with no motorcycle and no plans is not extreme. Like, that's pretty hardcore. That's not like, you know, it's not like going to Paris. Yeah. You're on a different level.
2: Um, and that's, that does sound extreme, but to me, like, that was... Even my own people were like, you're nuts. But to me, that was like, what, you can't right.
1: work out how to buy a, buy a motorcycle in Delhi. It's like... <laughs> yeah. So, so something that I've been dying to do that seems to be extreme is I want to go into the Amazon jungle. And I was actually talking about this two nights ago with a friend of mine um, joking around who has never traveled outside of the United States. And I was saying like, you know, it's, it's going to be incredible. And then I started breaking down like the animals that are going to be there. He's like, I was like, well, you know, there's piranhas and crocodiles in the water. And there's poisonous snakes, and there's jaguars, there's anacondas, uh, poisonous you know, there's, frogs, there's po- malaria, like poisonous yellow, everything. Yeah, malaria and yellow fever. Yeah. And now I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a second, <laughs> is this really a smart idea? <laughs> but um, I want to go. I have to go. It's just something that you I've always go, yeah. it's been calling me for since I was a child, really. So imagine, imagine as an older man
2: lying on your deathbed thinking to yourself, I wish I'd done that
1: yeah exactly yeah. right right that's
0: well, great motivation <laughs> that is that is incredible now now because you done. never know when that moment's gonna happen
2: right yeah, yeah you'd rather be laying on your laying on your deathbed thinking, yeah that was a crazy trip right yeah. Yeah. right Right. as opposed to i wish i'd done something and, and spent your whole life." yeah that's kind, of,
1: that's kind of that's uh, kind of my my thought process for my life in general there's this good awesome quote um build your life resume and it's, it's when you are on your deathbed or when you're nearing the end of your life that you can go back and you can look at your life resume. And uh, you want to build one now that you're going to be proud of. You don't wait until you're older to build a resume. Building. You build your resume throughout your life. And as you get older, you add more and more bullet points to the things that you've done. And so that's kind of the the approach that I'm trying to take to my life with balance, of course. But um, that's kind of my idea of what I'm where I'm, my life is headed. Yeah. And nobody ever a, remembers
0: that week of work that you didn't vacation,
1: right? Or the night, yeah. uh, or the night that you got a full night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You know, you spend all those
2: hours stressing and, and pulling your hair out for what? Right. At the end of the day, it? doesn't mean anything. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have anything to add before you go? Um, if you want, you know, share your share your websites, share your social media things like that, where people can get a hold of you,
0: and where they um, could yeah. get some tattoos. Yeah. Well, if you want to get
2: tattooed, obviously if you're in Bali, you can come to Arthur Link in Seminyak, and it's um just Google it. It's the number one shop in Southeast Asia. Like I said, we have fantastic artists. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Paulo Thirty Three Martino.
1: Yeah. And I my YouTube that.
2: my YouTube channel is underway. I haven't had really much time to work on the YouTube channel, but it's something that I will be doing in the very near future. Just making some short writing documentaries where I'm going to ride and just film, and it's really going to be just shooting from the hip off. The cuff, no script. It's just we're just going to wear it as we go. It'd be yeah. very, very raw, raw, but at the same time, not so raw because obviously, I'm, I would say that I'm a pretty experienced traveler, so things really aren't too daunting, or there's not really any issues it's
1: overwhelming. As a, it- I think you could help a lot of people who want to travel in a similar way. I know that m- motorcycling through countries is—it seems to be coming. I'm sure it has always been popular. Maybe I'm just r- realizing it, but. I keep seeing people who are, you know, going through Australia and there's just something about like, you want to do the whole continent or the whole country. So people will show up to one country and they want to, they want to go from point A to point B and see the entire thing. Um, And I think that you kind of are set up and have the experience to help these people, you know, whether it's picking a bike or calming their nerves on what to expect as they're traveling through the countries. I think, I think a YouTube channel would be perfect for that.
2: Yeah. The YouTube channel is going to be very, very informative in that sense. And it will obviously give people. Insight into obviously local cultures and, and traffic conditions. And I mean, one of the things that I would not recommend for a novice rider is riding anywhere in Southeast Asia. But um, <laughs> I mean, even as an ex- even even as an experienced rider in Australia or the US or in any of those first world countries, you may be experienced in those countries, but riding in Southeast Asia and the conditions and the rules that don't apply, you really need that experience under those conditions if you want to survive because it is life and death stuff.
1: Right, right. Amen. Anyway, well well thank I you. Do. I know I know you're coming to us uh, at nighttime there in Perth and we appreciate it. We appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time to to talk uh, with us. It
2: was great talking with you guys. Thanks very much. Hopefully we can uh, talk in the future when we'll this YouTube stuff
1: Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh if you come to the, the States, the East Coast, and you're gonna ride through, let us know. We'll uh we'll grab some food. Oh, we'll
0: learn how to ride a bike.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm planning on being in the States maybe uh late
2: summer for you guys
0: okay all right you know where yet
2: do Do you know where you guys are in bali please no i'm gonna probably start off around uh la okay okay and uh and just push push east
1: i guess yeah well we're we're about two hours outside of new york we're about uh well i'm about 15 minutes outside of philadelphia two hours outside of washington dc so i'm right in like a hub of urbanization so i i got new york philly and dc all within pretty close reach Um, Yeah,
2: the goal is the one I want to. I'll start in LA and head up towards New York. So I'd love to catch up with you guys
1: somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, that would be great. Yeah, all right, man. Uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you, guys.
0: I am thinking about buying a motorcycle. Really? (laughs) On my net, on a trip, on doing that trip in general, a trip in general with a motorcycle.
1: Would you? You're legitimately thinking about what traveling to a country, buying a motorcycle there, and then just driving it through the country? Yeah, why not? Um, I don't know I mean, how to
0: do it at all. I would have to do some research. Maybe Paulo could help.
1: Have you ever driven a motorcycle?
0: No, no, me either.
1: I've done dirt it's, bikes. It's on my I've list. Done ATVs. Um, remember that time? ATVs, I, yes. Yeah. I mean, know who the better ATV driver is after crew. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you had so much dust in your face. I was, I was basically spotless by the time we were done. Uh, do you remember the way back? Being in first place, um, allowed me to just stay clean for that trip. as we all, drove. All that through. matters is the finish line. And I won. I ended up no, coming you didn't. first. No, you did I came I, first. I, no, no. Yeah. We need to get Brian in here. Because I, I came across the finish line first. No. I remember there was a point where I whipped around everybody, even that large group of people, into the street, did like a tailspin thing, whatever it is, and then just gunned it. And yeah, I was basically, no. it was like basically like Fast and the Furious Peru is mm-hmm. what happened. was yeah, all right. Do you want to break down the, the trivia question for this week? Absolutely. So for Paulo,
0: this Should be a fairly easy one. It was kind of surprising to us. How many kilometers was Paulo's trip from Dubai to Norway? You won't be able to Google
1: it. No, you won't be able to Google it. And it was an incredibly surprising number. I would agree. Uh, Yeah, surprised me. It did, yeah. It sounded like a hell of a trip. So it did um, four months. If wow. you if you know the answer, shoot us a DM or send us an email at the travelers blueprint at gmail dot com for your chance to win a traveler's blueprint sticker and uh a little bit of a um a shout out on our on our story. Um what else? What else? Rate us on iTunes? Yeah, not gonna mm. lie, I, I don't really rate many
0: things and I know it's a pain. Right. But it does really help us. And if you like the show, it is very much appreciated. You can't really put it into words how much it helps us uh, grow, uh, get new attention, and just overall credibility. So we want to thank you in advance if you decide to give us a rating.
2: Thank you.